You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1859th edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for December the 16th. The editor of this edition is Katrina, the producer is Roger and your readers are Sue and Neil. We should also mention our processing teams who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We will repeat any telephone numbers that are in this edition at the end of the memory stick, and we start, as always, with the headlines. The Multi-Million Pound Centre, all set for New Year opening. Two schools moved to home learning amid Covid fears. Were being treated like prisoners. Illuminating experience is magical. The keys to a new multi-million pound community centre have been handed to its trustees, with an official opening being planned for January. The newly constructed Newberry Community Centre, built on the site of the former Howard Primary School, has been funded through housing development contributions and a government grant. The Newberry Community Association has led the project and Chair Barbara Bannister, together with other long-standing members, have now stepped down. A new set of trustees from the local community who helped shape the centre will take over the role. Barbara said, This is a momentous day and I would like to thank everyone who's been involved, not just the association, but all those in the community. We hope the new centre will see many weddings, birthdays and other special occasions and be used by a wealth of groups and organisations catering for people of all ages. Yvonne Galloway, the new chair of the Newberry Community Association, now established as a charitable incorporated organisation, said, The new centre looks fantastic. It's so much bigger than the previous one and will be able to offer the community a lot more. We have the Carousel Children's Centre in the building, the NHS will have a clinic room, there are large and small halls to hire and a large communal hub. Some activities and bookings from the old centre, such as Upbeat Heart Support, Bury St Edmunds, Presbyterian Church and the Over 60s Club, are already holding their sessions in the centre and are helping us to ensure everything is working as expected, ahead of our official opening next month. Work of the NBCA on the project has been supported by West Suffolk Council and Suffolk County Council, with input from Havery Housing Partnership in its early stages. The new community centre has been and paid for and delivered as part of a new Keepmoat Homes development of 79 new homes alongside other developer contributions and £670,000 grant from the government's land release fund. The old community centre, which was owned by West Suffolk Council and the former Carousel Children's Centre owned by Suffolk County Council, will be demolished to make way for new homes which include affordable housing. Abbott's Green Academy and Sybil Andrews Academy, which are both part of the Unity Schools Partnership, 
have made the decision to move to home learning following consultation with Suffolk's public health team and the UK Health Security Agency. The move comes after two suspected cases of the Omicron variant were identified between the two schools on the Morton Hall estate. Suffolk County Council has confirmed that there were 1,831 cases of COVID identified among students aged up to 19 throughout the county's schools in the last 10 days. A total of 284 education settings recorded at least one positive test. The winter term is set to end in Suffolk next Friday. Neither Sybil Andrews Academy nor Abbott's Green Academy has revealed whether students will return to in-person teaching when the new term starts at the beginning of January. A joint statement from both Sybil Andrews Academy and Abbott's Green Academy said... As staff, we share the disappointment that the festive week we had planned next week will be missed. Whilst this is far from the end of term we wished for, it remains our intention to be able to salvage Christmas, but more importantly, the health and well-being of our school communities. We would like to take this opportunity to thank our staff and families for their ongoing support during this time and very much look forward to a healthy start to 2022. Stuart Keeble, Director of Public Health for Suffolk, said the staff at Sybil Andrews and Abbott Green Academies and Unity Schools Partnership have worked extremely hard in implementing all necessary measures since the first suspected cases of Omicron emerged. The decision to move to online learning for the remainder of the term would not have been taken lightly. We must all live with caution until the impact of Omicron is fully understood. I urge everyone to get vaccinated and take the booster when it is offered because this is by far the most effective form of defence that we have against the virus. Holidaymaker aged 68 forced to stay at £220 a night quarantine hotel. A holidaymaker has spoken of his frustration after being forced to stay in a £228 a night quarantine <coughs> hotel after a trip to South Africa. William Jennings, 68, from Bury St Edmunds, was just over a week in his two-week trip to Muizenberg near Cape Town when he heard South Africa had been placed on the government's travel red list. The Home Office announced the move on Friday, November the 26th, after the Omicron variant was first identified in a number of southern African countries. Mr Jennings, who is triple vaccinated, said he first went into a panic and his experience of trying to get home since have led him to slam the government's handling of the red list restrictions. It's been pretty awful, very unpleasant, he said. It's very stressful and it's almost like the government is making it difficult for anyone to travel home. The instructions are vague. You have to go through a frustrating government website, book a quarantine hotel, which took me three attempts, and arrange three PCR tests. On top of all this, it all costs £2,285. We are British citizens, and yet we are being treated like prisoners. Mr Jennings, a retired property renovator, travelled to South Africa to stay with friends on November the 19th. He flew home, as planned, on December the 1st. The quarantine rules mean he has to spend 10 days in total at a hotel in Milton Keynes, only allowed out to exercise. He will travel home soon. 
His frustrations are shared by a large number of travellers holed up in government-designated quarantine hotels, unhappy with the way they've been treated. We weren't allowed out at all for three days until after the first PCR test, he said. I have written to my MP expressing my dissatisfaction with the way things have been handled. It works out at more than £200 a night for the hotel, food and testing, but feels more like it should be costing between 50 and £60. I'm hoping my travel insurance will cover it, but I don't know if this is the case. The Abbey Gardens has always been a magical place, but under cover of darkness with colourful illumination, that magic took on a new dimension. The Berries and Edmunds Gardens were transformed for the first ever West Suffolk Council-organised Illuminabbey event at the weekend. Visitors went on a one-kilometre walking route, witnessing swirling lights, music and projections hitting the Abbey ruins alongside Street Theatre. Ours was a family visit, <coughs> with guests aged from 5 to 71, and each of us took something different from the experience. The 5, 6 and 12-year-old visitors were fascinated by Corvus Angelicus, otherwise known as the fairy, and the helter-skelter at the end, extra costs applied. The 30 and 40-somethings among us took delight in seeing the familiar abbey ruins transformed with the use of clever lighting, while our eldest visitor was entranced by fiery performances from Juggling Inferno. Finally, drumming troupe Spark marched in. Their stunning choreographed performance was in turn fascinating and sinister, but the younger members of our party were unable to see easily, and when they did catch a view, were scared. With cold fingers and numb toes, we called it a night before the performance ended. The highlight of Illuminabi is undoubtedly the simple delight of seeing familiar surroundings lit in new and exciting ways. I feel more could be made of this should the event return, along with a little more guidance on where to walk and what was happening when. But for a first event, Illuminabi successfully sprinkled a little magic dust over the historic Abbey Gardens. Suffolk science students have joined forces with two global companies to help solve a real-life factory brain teaser. Six Abbeygate Sixth Form and West Suffolk College students are working with British Sugar, which has a plant at Bury St Edmunds, and optical systems from Zeiss to work out how to cut waste during the sugar-making process. Perry Bateman, Senior Process Development Manager at British Sugar, said, Our plant turns sugar residues into alcohol using yeast and we suffer some contamination during this process. So this project is aiming to reduce the contamination that will increase our productivity and profit. It's a chance for the students to ask real scientific questions. They will investigate, research, examine the results and discover what jobs in science are all about. The group will use state-of-the-art technology including a microscope on loan from Zeiss, to try and increase the factory's output. They will analyse data and get an understanding of careers available in science, technology, engineering and maths, or STEM. Nadine Payne, Group Director of Extended Opportunities at Abbeygate and Eastern Colleges Group, said, It's really exciting to be involved in this groundbreaking, unique and prestigious partnership. For us, grades are important 
with the experience of sixth form and college needs to offer additional opportunities that will give students confidence, new skills and life lessons. This link-up will also help demonstrate how different areas of science work together and we would like to thank British Sugar and Zeiss for this amazing opportunity. Oliver Clark, head of microscopy division at Carl Zeiss Limited, said, It's very rare for A-level and T-level students to get to use these types of microscopes and we really hope this experience will help enhance their university applications and CVs. We are calling this the Challenger Project and it's cutting-edge stuff. The ideal scenario in terms of an end result would be for the students to solve the problem, a white paper is created, and if anyone stands out, there is the possibility of potential work experience or employment. From our point of view, it's great that we are able to support student development, look for future talent, and be part of our local community. The West Suffolk and Borders branch of Camera was behind August Beer and Cider Festival at St Edmundsbury Cathedral that attracted nearly 6,000 people. Organisers have now announced that the 30th anniversary event will open on Tuesday, June the 14th and continue until Sunday, June the 19th, once again at the Cathedral in Bury St Edmunds. Before the coronavirus pandemic, the festival had been held in the Apex and before that, the Corn Exchange. Festival organiser Martin Bate said, For our 30th anniversary event, we plan to top this year's event, which saw record numbers attend. We are hopeful that with the warm days of summer and daylight well into the evening, we can set another record and raise even more money for our charities and local good causes. In 2020, the festival was cancelled <laughs> due to the pandemic and the event moved to St Edmundsbury Cathedral for the first time this year. The 2021 event was the first time, was first ever such festival held in an English cathedral. More than £30,000 was raised and distributed to 15 local charities and worthwhile causes. Organisers have plans to improve on the event's format, including extending the opening times and having the cathedral nave open throughout, an improved entertainment programme with two tribute band nights and free admission to the weekday daytime sessions. The Reverend Canon Philip Banks, pre-centre at St Edmundsbury Cathedral, said, Everyone enjoyed this year's beer, beer festival so much and we received many favourable comments. We had our fingers crossed that the organisers would choose to return. To be able to accommodate them in high summer will showcase our beautiful cathedral at its very best and should ensure this 30th anniversary festival is an event to remember. A Bury St Edmunds care home has been rated as good following its first Care Quality Commission CQC inspection. Marham House, which opened at the start of the pandemic, was visited by the CQC for the first time following the home's registration. Inspectors found people spoke highly of the care and support they received. The report said two errors were positively mentioned by people. This was the lifestyle support team who developed and enabled people to lead meaningful lives and have social interactions through to a wide variety of events, exercise classes and activities. The second was the quality of food that people enjoyed. One person said, the food is very, very good. People were supported to have maximum choice and control of their lives and staff supported them in the least restrictive way possible and in their best interests. 
The CQC rated the home as good in the categories of being safe, effective, caring, responsive and well-led. The report added, people looked very comfortable and relaxed with the staff who supported them. People said they felt safe and staff treated them with kindness. One person said, I'm so well looked after, I just ask and I get and this makes me feel safe. The registered manager and senior staff team led by example to make sure people were always treated with respect and kindness. We saw some lovely, kind and patient interactions between people and staff. Staff seemed to know people well. There was a relaxed, unhurried feel throughout the home. It was noticeable that staff had time to stop and chat to people or to reassure them. It never felt task-led at any time. Marn House offers residential care with 54 residents at the time of the inspection, although there is space for up to 66 people. Jan Gibbs, manager of the Simcoe Road Home, said, Maybe we are a little unusual, but we were very excited to receive a visit from the CQC inspectors. I know their visit will usually fill even the most confident manager with trepidation. We've been waiting for our inspection for a while, and we really couldn't wait to show off our home. We are very proud of this report. It is well deserved. Our team are so dedicated and go above and beyond in everything that they do. The team behind the Theatre Royal's production of Cinderella says making strides to increase representation on the stage is important (coughs) to show adults and children alike to believe that they can be anything they want to be. Leading the cast at the Bury St Edmunds Theatre is Becky Sane as Cinderella. The 22-year-old from South East London has been acting ever since she was a child and says she never believed she would play a princess in a leading role. She said, as long as I could remember, I just thought, I'll never be the princess. I'll probably be the sidekick or the funny friend. It was very accepted when I was growing up that that's who you are and that's who you will be. I think it's really important that we say for everyone that you can be from any background and still be a princess. Becky went on to say that she feels proud to be able to offer that representation to children who were just like her growing up. It feels so special and amazing. I think you can see it in the audience's eyes. I remember the opening night and I saw a black family sitting two rows back with a little girl who just looked so in awe. Owen Calvert-Lyons, artistic director at the theatre, explained that the diverse casting is a deliberate move to show that representation. He said, It was a very conscious decision, and we employ that in all of our casting. We cast people of different sexualities, race, gender, class. That's something important to us. First and foremost, we are casting people on their ability. We are always looking for people who are great actors, great singers and great dancers, and that has to come first. Believe that that you can be your own hero, and then you will approach life differently. You are going to believe you are a central character in this world, that you are not a peripheral figure, and you are not a sidekick. Anglia Girl Guiding celebrated turning 50 with a bee-themed party. During the celebration, which took place in late November, the 14th Bury St Edmunds Brownies invited groups from across the town to take part in a day of activities. Part of the celebration saw children create bee pen pots, pipe cleaner bees, bees from Oreo biscuits and played bee-themed games. An afternoon tea was held for those in attendance, which included a slice of specially made birthday cake. 
What about the honey? Girl guiding exists to give girls and young women a space to have fun, find their voice and build their confidence by empowering them to make a positive difference to their community. The theme was chosen due to the group's values and the community nature that is associated with bees. As part of the celebration, brownies and rainbows had the chance to gain the buzz about Anglia badge for completing six challenges, including being creative, giving and adventurous. The tasks were launched in January of this year and will finish at the end of December. Calls for increased enforcement of 20 mile per hour speed limits in Suffolk have been made by councillors following amendments to the Highway Code aimed at placing a greater emphasis on pedestrian safety. A motion passed with cross-party support at Suffolk County Council last Thursday <coughs> excuse me, said that new 20 mile an hour zones would only be introduced in areas which had community backing. It called for Suffolk Constabulary to, quote, increase and prioritise enforcement activities across all speed limits, including 20 miles per hour, where there is clear evidence of significant non-compliance or an injury collision history, and ensure that all officers act in line with this policy, unquote. The meeting heard that some communities were told 20 mile per hour areas were not enforced because they often came with other traffic calming measures such as speed humps that meant they had to be self-enforcing. But councillors said 20 mile per hour zones were introduced to reduce incidents of pedestrian injury from speeding vehicles and needed policing. Councillor Caroline Page from the Green, Liberal, Democrat and Independent Group put forward the motion pointing to a recent amendment in the Highway Code that states all speed limit signs with a red circle should be enforced. She said, The new Highway Code has placed vulnerable road users at the top of its hierarchy to ensure they are safer on our roads. Yet for some, the concept of reducing speed to 20 miles per hour is somehow presented as an eccentric and impractical dream. A Suffolk Constabulary spokesman said they would support communities with speed watch initiatives and if issues persist in a 20 mile per hour zone, they can take enforcement action, but it cannot be dealt with by a ticket and has to be reported for prosecution. A thrilled head teacher has heaped praise on pupils, staff and her school community after this the school received a good Ofsted rating. Clements Primary Academy in Haverhill was described as being a caring and inclusive school, offering an environment where pupils enjoy coming to school. An ambitious curriculum, good behaviour and a strong safeguarding culture were also highlighted in the report following the inspection in October. Head teacher Vicky Hogg said, We are absolutely thrilled that the report recognises and pays tribute to what our schools are like on a day-to-day -day basis. We have fantastic support from parents and I am delighted for our staff who always go above and beyond for our pupils. Everyone has played their part in receiving this good Ofsted rating and I think it is positive news for the whole Haverhill community. Ofsted inspectors highlighted that parents overwhelmingly felt their children were well cared for and were typically happy with how well their children achieve. One parent summarised what many others had said, children flourish at Clements. The learning is tailored to children's needs. Now I have a few letters for you. 
The news that the Suffolk Hotel will rise again in a boutique form in the centre of Bury St Edmunds after receiving planning permission will be most welcome. Too often in the past years, hotels in town and city centres have closed and not been adequately replaced, with new facilities usually being provided on the periphery of towns and cities. The drawback I have found with this is that far too often one is searching for hotel in the dark on a nondescript business park, which, when one is tired from driving perhaps a long way, adds further stress and strain. During a pre-pandemic visit to Norwich with my classic car to take part, the next morning in the Norwich Open Churches run, locating the hotel outside Norwich, there were problems associated with rowworks for the Northern Distributor Road, which confused the sat-nav to such an extent that it was rendered useless and impotent. The confusion was only abated when, out of the blue, the signs for the hotel somehow appeared through the gloom. In recent years, Ipswich has had new hotels springing up in the centre of town, specifically to accommodate tourist visitors with more planned. However, the former Great White Horse Hotel, on a prime site in the centre of town, is derelict and sadly neglected with little hope of being brought back to life. Approval for the Suffolk Hotel project will help to provide more bed spaces in Bury and bring back some of those lost when the Suffolk and also Everard's Hotel close their doors. It will also be good to see the retail units created in the old hotel refurbished and accommodating new occupants, aiding the resurgence and recovery of a wonderful town centre. The former Suffolk Hotel was a go-to place for excellent lunches and afternoon teas. Whatever is provided now will not diminish the fact that an old friend, such an important part of the Bury St Edmunds experience, is thankfully finally returning. That came from Graham Day in Stowmarket and a little tiny uh, letter to add to that from Sheila Southgate in Barrow. So good to see the Suffolk could be returning to the centre of Bury St Edmunds. Can Everard's Hotel be next on the list, please? Mm, That's a thought, isn't it? Now, I have a letter from Anthony Hurden of Bury St Edmunds. Very short, but very sweet. Never underestimate the power of the press, he writes. Last week you printed a letter from me about the slow installation of modern street lighting in the town centre. Four days later, modern street lighting was installed in our street. Now that you've achieved that, can you deal with the coronavirus? I'm now 92 and with limited mobility, but I'm still concerned about the world we live in. At this dangerous time, I make a proposal entitled Roads to Peace, which builds on China's steps to prosperity and peace. The roads would be like belts holding communities together and could be extended through nations now wrecked by strife, such as Afghanistan, Yemen and Libya. They would grow trade, industry, education and culture in the nations and off the main routes, branches would serve yet more populations. Roads to Peace offers to every nation on earth peace through goodwill, doing away with armed conflict and death in favour of multilateral disarmament, tolerance and abundant life. 
One such example would be a main route from Vladivostok through North Korea to Beijing, through China, Afghanistan, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Yemen and Ethiopia to Dakar in West Africa. A network of such routes could be constructed over Eurasia and Africa. This could be a project for the UN to develop an advocate to the nations, yet with China's input especially. Please consider this urgently. That came from Malcolm Hill in Sudbury. And another little one. David Jacobs says that demand will always outstrip supply for the NHS. Let us December the 3rd. And I presume he thinks we can't afford to fund this service adequately. I would like to draw his attention to a quote from one of the greatest economists the world has ever seen, John Maynard Keynes, who was responsible at the Bretton Woods Conference for helping to solve Europe's problems after the Second World War. He said, anything we can actually do, we can afford. Very interesting. Um, now I'm writing, uh, sorry, I'm reading a letter from Lynn James, who is a PDSA vet, and she writes about charity seeing a rise in demand. The PDSA is appealing for help this winter so that it can con can continue to be here for pets. The charity provides free and low-cost vet care for those who struggle to pay treatment costs for their sick and injured pets. It's a vital that pets and their owners can access our life-saving services and get the treatment they deserve when they have nowhere else to turn. Pets have done so much to improve our health and well-being, but now they are at increased risk with 2.9 million more people claiming universal credit than before the pandemic and the cost of living crisis squeezing household budgets. We know that many pet owners will be unable to afford essential veterinary treatment. Since the first UK lockdown began, we've already seen an overwhelming increase of additional inquiries from pet owners who have hit hard times. With 388,000 pets treated in 2020 by keeping our 48 pet hospitals open, we can be there for the thousand of pets that need us across the UK every day. Every pet deserves a fighting chance. Please donate today and help save pets. Um, and uh, Neil will read out the uh, contact you need. Thank you. St Nicholas Hospice Care's house clearance team will be back on the road in 2022 with its growing Christmas tree recycling service. Instead of focusing on house clearances in the new year, the team will be collecting festive furs from January the 10th to the 14th in the following postcodes, IP24, IP28, IP29, IP30, IP31, IP32, IP33, IP27, CO10, CB8 and CB9. Darren Devine, the hospice's house clearance manager, said... The team is looking forward to being out in the community collecting trees once more and we are hoping that people will once again be get behind what is a great initiative. It's good for the hospice because it raises vital funds and it's good for the environment as it is sustainable with the trees. Thanks to the Euston estate being recycled free of charge and turned into chippings and then placed around newly planted trees. Last year the team collected a bumper crop 
with 1,850 trees, the biggest standing at an impressive 17 feet, and the service raised a record-breaking £7,280 for the hospice. You can book your tree pickup uh, by signing, uh, telephoning 01284 747 622. A couple from Barrow, <coughs> excuse me, a couple from Barrow have covered their home in Christmas lights to raise money for the British Heart Foundation. Following the death of his mother to a heart attack, Rod Oman and his husband Ben raised £114 for the charity that funds vital cardiovascular research in the UK. The big switch-on took place on Saturday as around 100 people gathered to see the illuminations. Rod loves making people happy and hopefully when people see the house lit up it will bring them joy, said Sam Oman, Rod's sister. This is not the first time the couple have covered their home in lights over the festive period for a good cause. Previously they have hosted a Christmas light switch-on to raise money for Cancer Research UK. Rod spends the year collecting items to adorn his display, making some of the larger pieces himself. I have a feature now, which is called The Value of Keeping Records. Over time, the Abbey had acquired a reputation as being among the top monastic institutions in the country. Free from episcopal control, answerable to only the Pope or the King, it enjoyed the wealth from the many rentals, manors, properties, managed woodlands and estates all over East Anglia and beyond. In fact, the liberty of St Edmund, the eight and a half hundreds of land given by Edward the Confessor to the Abbey, only changed to become the county of West Suffolk in 1889. All this information was meticulously recorded in the cartularies, that's medieval records, of the Abbey, the greatest number in the country. St Edmundsbury's Abbey legacy of its documentation relating to its foundation, privileges and legal rights is an incredible resource for modern-day scholars. Through the Valor Ecclesiasticus, the church valuation, a national document set in motion by Henry VIII in 1535, which recorded uh, the wealth of the Church of England, the king's commissioners could confiscate with a great deal of certainty whatever was of any value within religious establishments. Also, to suffer from the inquiring, invidious individuals such as magistrates and local gentry, officers of the crown, were the collections of the Abbey Library, consisting of more than 2,000 books, psalters and Bibles. Many other documents would be distributed far and wide, and it just so happened that one of the foremost academics on the history of the Abbey, also a ghost writer par excellence, Montague Rhodes James, son of the rector of Great Livermere, while researching in Douai in France, discovered evidence of the location of six abbots' graves at St Edmundsbury Abbey. They were uncovered in the chapter house on New Year's Day in 1903. The chapter house was the engine room of the abbey where monks received their daily instructions. The abbots found with, with coffins were Ording, Samson, Richard de Insula, Henry of Rushbrook, Edmund de Walpole. Without a coffin were the remains of Abbot Hugh I. 
Local stonemasons' hanchets supplied new coffin lids of blue York stone for the five buried within coffins for the princely sum of eight pounds and twelve shillings. Should any new numbers or lettering be required, a charge of old one penny would apply. Mr. Henry Dunn, whose garden extended from Abbey Ruins House into the chapter house, generously paid for the necessary work. As far as is known, the skeletal remains are still there. And now I have a, um, a piece, an opinion piece, written by Michael Cole, who states that public trust is being eroded by lies and deceits. The only good thing about 2021 is that it's not quite as bad as 2020. That's down to the vaccines, not the politicians. We elected a Conservative government two years ago. Where has it gone? This one spends like a drunken sailor, plundering the nation's finances and squandering millions on expensive track and trace schemes that did neither. Meanwhile, Conservative MPs who aren't coining it from second or third jobs are letting out their London flats while claiming back the costs of renting an alternative London address. This may be legal, but insults the taxpayers forced to, find, to fund their lucrative little schemes, their conservative grandees of East Anglia's recent past, like Jim Pryor, Francis Pym and Ian Gilmore, would be appalled by such cupidity. Taxes are now at the highest level since 1952. This is not a Conservative Party. It's a Toro Crossy. Anything goes if you can get away with it. I doubt Boris Johnson is actually Conservative. His hero, Winston Churchill, played fast and loose with party allegiance, starting out as a Tory, then switching to the Liberals before reverting to the Conservative Party when the Liberals, led by his mentor David Lloyd George, became a busted flush. But Churchill always had his eyes on the horizon and the destiny of the English-speaking peoples. Boris's focus has always been on what's good for Boris. Churchill, constantly short of money, wrote epic histories in order to keep himself in Paul Roger's champagne. According to Boris's former adviser Dominic Cummings, Boris intended to write a book on Shakespeare in order to pay for his latest divorce, and Cummings had to persuade him to concentrate on being Prime Minister, an allegation Boris has not denied. I've seen 15 Prime Ministers, good, bad and indifferent, but never a shameless one, until now. Public trust is being eroded by lies and deceit. People who would once have instinctively believed official pronouncements now question everything, hence the reluctance of millions to be vaccinated. Meanwhile, six out of the last seven Conservative treasurers who have donated £3 million to the party have been given peerages, joining 780 other lords claiming £323 per day for attending the House of Lords for even two minutes. When Maundy Gregory, the only man ever jailed for selling honours, was offering baubles on behalf of Lloyd George's Liberal Party in 1918, a peerage cost £40,000. Though Gregory would do you a nice little knighthood for 10000 that's inflation for you. In 2022, the Lords should be abolished and the Commons cleaned of sleaze. A unique slice of Ed Sheeran musical memorabilia could be yours for a fiver. The Suffolk singer-songwriter has donated a prototype equals guitar for a charity raffle to help learning disabled and neurodivergent pupils at a school in his hometown of Framlingham. 
Ed has also pledged to customise the guitar for the winner with an autograph or handwritten song lyrics. The guitar is the latest in a collaboration between renowned guitar maker George Loudon and Ed. It has been handmade by Loudon, who has been Ed Sheeran's guitar maker for the past six years. Ed said, This is a prototype of a new Equals guitar by Sheeran Guitars by Loudon. It is one of one. There is not another guitar like it. This is the guitar that gets sent to me to check that all the other guitars are all right. It says prototype in it. To win this, it's a £5 raffle, which goes to charity. It's going to build a music centre at a primary school near me, which I'm really excited about. If you win it, you can have it personalised. I can write some lyrics on it. I'll do whatever you want. Runners-up will get a signed Ipswich shirt by me. Good luck. And Merry Christmas. The Equals Guitar celebrates Ed's latest number, number one album of the same name. The final versions of the publicly available Equals Edition guitar will be limited to just 3,000 worldwide. In addition, Ed has also donated three signed Ipswich Town Football Club 2021-22 home football shirts featuring the Ed Sheeran Tour logo for three runners-up. The money raised by the raffle will go towards a smart music pod and disabled access facilities at Sir Robert Hitcham's CEVAP school and distributed by GWIZ to other SENS projects in Suffolk. The school is without a music room for all its pupils and is in need of extra facilities for their learning, disabled and neurodivergent students. Gina Long, MBE, founder of GWIZ, said, We are so incredibly grateful to Ed for this wonderful donation. It is a true reflection of his generosity towards his community. The legacy from the guitar will benefit so many children. Oh, isn't that lovely? Now I'm going to read you out a bunch of memories, and I can remember this as when I was a child. I am so old. Local historian, author and tour guide Martin Taylor has trawled through his archive to find some of his favourite Barry St Edmund's pictures and stories from the past. The origins of Hunter and Oliver. Do you remember Hunter and Oliver? He's so young, Neil. Never been anywhere. Were twofold, for according to records from 1776, grocer William Dalton started the whole thing off, progressing with John Worldridge as bankers and wine merchants in 1854. I don't expect you to remember that, Neil. Certainly an unusual combination. F. Matchell Smith became involved in 1866, becoming Matchell Smith Oliver, when John G. Oliver joined in 1881. He was later to trade as a company in his own right. The other half of the company name came from John Hunter, who started his business around 1820. The firm would operate as A&E Hunter until it merged with John G. Oliver & Co. Limited in 1929. They traded for many years at 22 Abbeygate Street, directories describing their premises as either the Gallon Pot or Gallon Can Public House. 
To many locals, though, it was always known as the wine vaults, with a reputation for being haunted, as many an employee can recall seeing mysterious figures lurking in the shadows of the extensive ancient cellars which went under Abigate Street and Lower Baxter Street. Here, vintage wines were matured as well, stocking a myriad of wines, spirits, liqueurs and beers. They also branded their own products, such as St Edmundsbury Cream Sherry and a rich golden dessert wine named after St Edmund. In 1962, there was a bottling plant in St Andrew Street South and 12 branches covering the whole of East Anglia, making deliveries with their own transport. However, the registered offices would eventually move to number 12 and 13 Cornhill, where they remained until closing in around 1976. Boots opened the new store on the site in 1977, but a vestige of the building's past survives, bunches of grapes on top of capitals where part of the original facade was kept. Knitted angels, tea lights and Christmas prayers have been delivered to families in Little Wellneatham and Bradfield St George from their church. The idea was the brainchild of church warden Christine Stainer, who planned to position angels around the villages. Then, keen Cockfield knitter Joyce Coxage, who's in her 80s, knitted at least three each evening. Within no time, she had made more than 200 angels, enough to deliver one angel to each household. The Reverend Richard Stainer said, Joyce is quite remarkable. Others also help with the knitting, but without her we would not have been able to manage it. The angel and tea lights were delivered in a small bag with a label on which was typed a Christmas prayer and contact details for the church. And now this is a feature from the Newmarket Journal. Rail travel back on track after 56 years without a train station. Soham has been reconnected to the nation's railway network for the first time in 56 years after a 18.6 million new station was opened. More than 100 people turned out to see the official opening ceremony for the station, the unveiling of two plaques and the award of three prizes to local school children for designing posters. Speaking at the ceremony, Dr Nick Johnson, Mayor of Cambridgeshire and Peterborough, said, Welcome to our and your new station. We are at the start of something life-changing for this town because connectivity is a key to life, a key to freedom and a key to attracting visitors. My congratulations to everyone involved in this special enterprise. We have created an asset of lasting value to this community and its future generations, opening a door to opportunity. Jamie Burles, a Greater Anglia Managing Director, added, We're proud to be the train operator serving Soham with our high-quality, new bi-mode trains and to be the operator responsible for managing the new station. It's not often that new stations are open and even rarer that they are served by new state-of-the-art trains. The station, which was built by Network Rail, will be managed by Greater Anglia as part of the Ipswich to Peterborough route and was built with funding from Cambridgeshire and Peterborough Combined Authority, CPCA, at a cost of £18.6 million. Work on the station began in the autumn of last year, with construction commencing in the spring of this year. The two plaques marking the opening of the station and the heroism of railway workers involved in Soham's 1944 railway disaster in which a train's wagon containing heavy ammunitions exploded. 
train driver Benjamin Gimpert and fireman James Nighthall ensured that the burning wagon was detached from the rest of the ammunition-bearing wagons and driven away before exploding at Soham Station. A signalman, Frank Bridges, along with Nighthall, were killed while Gimbert was seriously injured. Nighthall and Gimbert were later awarded the George Cross. The awards for Best Poster were presented at the ceremony with Jasmine Stewart of the Shade Primary School, Eve Recovery, sorry, Eve Rovery of the Weatherall's Primary, and Chloe Willett of St Andrew's Church of England Primary School winning the competition. Ellie Burrows, route director for Network Rail Anglia, was quick to thank the community for their patience during the construction works and praise the team spirit of those involved. I want to thank the community of Soham for being involved in those projects and for their patience as we've been working, she said. It's important to point out that the project would not have been possible without the close cooperation of the CPCA, Greater Anglia, the Community Network Rail Anglia construction contractor Jay Murphy and Sons Limited, and everyone else involved. Soham's MP Lucy Fraser said, I am delighted Soham Station has reopened. This project is a fantastic example of the quick delivery of public transport infrastructure that will benefit this local community. James Palmer, former mayor of the CPCA, said, Getting Soham connected back into the rail network was one of my earliest priorities as mayor. I am delighted it has been delivered. I am confident that this new station will provide residents and local businesses with better travel connections and support greater investment into Soham. I hope that next we will see an hourly service and direct trains to London via Newmarket. I am proud of my role in helping to bring this project to the town. An apprentice carpenter from West Suffolk College flew the flag for East Anglia after competing in a national skills tournament. Danny Featherston, who's 18, flew through the regional heats of an event called Skill Build early this year and last month went up against six other construction trainees from across the UK at a competition in Norfolk. If successful, he could have eventually made it to the World Skills Tournament in Shanghai in China, where the best construction trainees from around the world go up against each other. Although Danny did not make it through to the next round, the judges and his college tutors still praised him. Brian Tunbridge, construction lecturer at West Suffolk College, said Danny had performed above his qualification level and that he was a credit to the college and his employer. And now some more news. Landscape is changing all around us. One of the certainties of this pandemic is that our high streets will never be quite the same again. Whether it's Debenhams and Bury St Edmunds leaving the town for good, the Suffolk Hotel rising again in the centre of town, or Topshop and HMV saying their farewells, the once common names are disappearing at a rate of knots and some new ones are springing up. What we will be left with is anyone's guess. Hardly a week goes by without another casualty as spending habits change or massive overheads and debts take their toll. However, two sad stories surfaced this week. One was the closure of eight by Brunity in St John Street, Barry, a takeaway launched in the midst of the pandemic, which struggled with the lack of outdoor seating. Then there's the story of the impending closure of Milden Hall's Bussons and Parkin. 109 years in business brought to an end thanks to the devastating effects of coronavirus. New names and shiny new businesses are lovely to see, but it's a real cause for regret when familiar faces say their final goodbyes. 
A Suffolk schoolboy's plan to plant 150 trees and raise awareness of global warming has been declared a success after he completed his ambitious target. Jacob Severn, who's 11, planted trees in the grounds of Sybil Andrews Academy in Bury St Edmunds last week before planting almost 40 trees in his grandparents' farm at Hitcham near Stowmarket. The Risby Primary School pupil started the environmental project and launched an appeal in the Bury Free Press for planting locations after watching the David Attenborough Our Planet documentary. Earlier this year, his mission went global after Karen Canard organised for 10 trees to be planted in Kenya through the Word Forest Organisation. And it was this link-up that led to Jacob planting trees at Sybil Andrews, where Mrs Canard is career's advisor. Jacob, who lives in Ingham and has even donated his pocket money to tree planting schemes, said, I just wanted to do something to help and it is really exciting that I have now planted more than 150 trees. His mum, Katie, added, We're all super proud of Jacob. He got really upset watching the David Attenborough programme and couldn't understand why we are not doing more to save our planet. The tree planting was a simple thing that he could relate to while making a difference. Trenica King, head teacher of Sybil Andrews Academy, said the school was delighted to support Jacob achieve his mission. She added, More than ever, I think we are all acutely aware of the environment and how our actions today can make a difference for future generations. Jacob is an inspiration to us all. Indeed. A Bury St Edmunds charity has issued a heartfelt thank you to the community after donations poured in for a Christmas appeal to help those in need. Gatehouse joined forces with the Bury Free Press in its calls for food, toiletry gift sets as well as underwear and pyjamas for children and adults. Bags of items were brought into our office and readers also donated £240 in cash to the charity. Amanda Bloomfield, Chief Executive of Gatehouse, said... Thank you to the community for enabling the charity to donate food hampers and gifts to those vulnerable adults and families within Bury St Edmunds and West Suffolk. Each year the demand for our help is more, particularly as we recover from the pandemic. The support from the local community is overwhelming and rarely helps to make a difference. Amanda estimates they will help about 1,500 people over the Christmas period, which is a 15% increase on last year, largely due to the pandemic, rising fuel bills and increases in the cost of living. The cash donations will go towards purchasing special items for Christmas to make it more magical for families. The charity is making winter fuel payments and anyone in need should contact Gatehouse for a referral. People can still sign up for the Gatehouse Christmas Day lunch at St Benedict's Catholic School in Bury St Edmunds by by emailing info at gatehouse.org.uk. It is also still taking donations for Christmas until Friday, December 17th at its headquarters in Dettington Way as well as collection points in the co-op in Outrisby Gate and Waitrose. Amanda also expects to be in need of food donations early next year. We tend to get busy at the end of January as people are trying to stretch their December pay packet and obviously if the cold winter hits, that will have a knock-on effect on people. I have some comments called Chatterbox here. Um, The Town Takeaway 8 
have announced that they are being forced to close permanently due to the effects of coronavirus. Dan Ballam said, I used to get food delivered from there last year during lockdown. The paellas were really good. Nicola Miller said, I love their Romanian food. Very sad to see it close. Kim Garrett said, sorry to read this. Loved your food and everyone was so friendly. Good luck for the future. Heather Warren replied, sorry to hear that. I'm sure they are devastated. I saw lots of their advertising and heard some great stories regarding their food, especially during lockdown. Wishing them all the best. Maxine Mercutt responded, lovely food ordered a few times. Shame to see it close. Offered something different to the usual takeaway. Claire Wagg said, shame the timing of being new and COVID was just a little bit much. I guess, but it was nice to have had a different choice of menu for a takeaway. Stuart McGee commented, Shame, we loved it. It was so nice to have something different available for takeaway food. And Sam Dale replied, Your food was absolutely gorgeous every time. Such a shame. I hope you do open again somewhere else. Customers, meanwhile, have been getting used to a new-look supermarket this week. The Waitrose store on Robert Bovey Way, Bury St Edmunds, opened its doors officially last Friday. Work, however, has been going on since September, while the store has still been open to the public. Long-serving staff member Tina Goodwin cut the tape which launched the New Look store. She was joined by project manager Ricky McKenna, store manager Steve Mattinson and other colleagues. The refurbishment has seen the store being given a full makeover, including a new layout, new counters, new customer toilets and car park with extra spaces. The Wait and Rose Cafe has also had a makeover and now includes laptop and phone charging points. The store is part of the John Lewis Partnership and employs some 150 staff. Work was carried out in the day and through the night to complete the job. Now I have a topical poem written by local man or Ken Byram called Christmas Comes. Autumn leaves drift by my window. Days are grey and windy now. The winter creeps towards us. A frost lays on the boughs. Summer is far behind us. Winter solstice is on its way. December soon will be here. Then comes that special day. A time of joy and celebration, a time of happiness and love, when children sing out carols and snow falls from above. Christmas is the season of goodwill to all mankind, so let us pray on Christmas Day. The one thing on our minds is peace and hope and charity, because we know we can feel lasting love and friendship towards our fellow man. Aww. And now is a special Christmas treat for those who listen to our recordings on a USB stick. There is an extra feature after this News Talk podcast, so please keep listening. On the 12th of December, News Talk recorded a Christmas concert by the Aquarius Singers held in the All Saints Church, Bury St Edmunds. The proceeds of this Christmas concert were in aid of Bury St Edmunds Women's Aid Centre, a charitable organisation who offer safety, security, shelter, friendship and support to women and their children who are survivors of domestic abuse. The Aquarius Singers, established in 1999, is an amateur community choir for Upper Voices based in Bury St Edmunds. For the concert, the Aquarius Singers were conducted by Jill Gain and accompanied on piano by Jill Garrett.
Christian Jenner provided two wonderful readings of passages from A Child's Winter Christmas in Wales by Dylan Thomas. We hope we can bring a little Christmas spirit to you in this, our last podcast for 2021. A Merry Christmas to you and yours from all the volunteers at St Edmundsbury News Talk. We're coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number you've been given or put a note in the pouch when you return the stick to us. We'd like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. The telephone number mentioned in this, in this edition is the Christmas Tree Recycling 01284 747622. News Talk will be back again after a two-week break on the 6th of January. So until then, from Katrina, Roger, Sue and Neil, it's goodbye and Santa. Happy Christmas, everybody. podcast brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St. Edmunds studio.